Welcome to Delighting in Christ, where we treasure the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. I am a faithful Bible teacher who loves to point people to Christ. There are many commandments in the Bible, but most people overlook the first and greatest commandment ever given to mankind. The commandment that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Find out why God commands us to love Him and why it is life-giving for us, His image bearers. for joining us. So today I want to present with you a serious question. Have you ever in your entire life ever seen someone pull into a gas station and put sugar water in their gas tank? I don't think anyone who listens to this, anyone that I've ever known do that. Except maybe criminals who or Maybe people who really wanted to uh, upset their the person that really offended them would put sugar water in a gas tank to make their car stop running. But we would probably say that no one has ever experienced or has ever known anybody to put sugar water in a gas tank. And why do you think that is? I mean, we're most of us who are listening are not car mechanics I mean we've never been to mechanical school we never gotten a mechanical engineering degree why do we know that cars don't run on sugar water but they run on gas well first that's how we're taught as little ones as we grow up we want to help our dad put gas in the gas tank and so we know that gas goes in a car to run. But scientifically, uh, in, in the engineers who made it, made the car, designed it to run on gas and not sugar water. So we know this. We know that cars run on gas and not sugar water. So today, I want to show you how we as human beings are created to run on delighting in Christ, our precious Lord and our Savior, because honestly, without Him, we are not fully operating under our created mandate. And so, there's this common question out where people ask this of, why does God command us to delight in Him? Why why is He commanded? Why does He command our love, our affection, our our praise, our worship towards him. I mean, is he that egotistical? Like, is it all about him? I would say yes. Uh, But why does he command us to delight in him? Or to put it another way, delight in Christ. And that's a question I hope to answer for you today. Why does God command, why does God want us to delight in him? And hopefully throughout the whole podcast, we delight in him more and more because he is precious. And so today, 
we're going to read some text and we're going to see what the Bible has to say of why God commands us to delight in him. And so let's pray. Let's open it up in prayer and give this to the Lord. Father, your words that you've given to mankind in the Bible are so precious to us. They're your written, infallible words that show us how to delight in you, to treasure you, and they show us that you are a holy and separated God that is that can't be compared to anything else in this world. And so help us not to take these words in scripture for granted, but to be like the psalmist who meditates on your word day and night so that we can be like trees planted by living water that yields fruit in its season. I ask, Lord, that you increase and I decrease. Make your name famous among the people who have an ear to hear today. Keep my speech from air, Abba. In your name we pray. Amen. And so, we're going to go to Scripture. And we're going to go to Psalm 37.4, which says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we know that reading the Gospels and the letters written to the churches, that Jesus is Lord, such as Philippians 2, 9-11, which says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we can easily, in Psalm 37, 4, say, delight yourself in Christ and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which, if you're wondering, that's partially how I came up with the title of this podcast. There's a multitude of other things that played a factor into that, but that's how I came up with it. So the question is, is what does that mean? What does it mean to delight in the Lord or delight in Christ? And if we do delight in Christ, what does it mean that the Lord gives us the desires of our heart? Well, let me first tell you, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean if you delight in Christ, if you consider him that pearl of great price, the treasure that he is for us, He'll give you all the material possessions your heart has been really wanting. You know, like that new fancy minivan. I just say minivan because that's what I want right now because I'm having a second kid here soon. Or a really nice house or health or wealth. This verse isn't saying Come to Jesus, delight in him, and then you'll get all the stuff and the pleasures in this life. That's not what this text means. 
And the reason that we can know this, that I can know this, that we can know this, is because the Bible is so adamant that material possessions are not the main thing God wants us to strive for. So, for example, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament is the book of Ecclesiastes. And one of my favorite new books in the Testament is Philippians. And I'll I'll tell you why here in a second. So, Solomon, David's son, wrote this book in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon was really rich. I mean, he had cattle, livestock, servants, uh, concubines. He had all nine yards of all you can ever want. You could probably equate him with Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates of our day-to-day, probably even more than those guys of what he had versus what all the rest of the world had. And so this guy was rich. He had everything he could have ever dreamed. And at the end of his life, when everything was said and done, he said this, Everything is meaningless. Meaning all the earthly wealth and health and concubines and livestock and all the pleasures of partying that I I gained, it didn't bring any joy. And he goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14, he says, the end of the matter is all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is a whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so to get back to why I really like the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Philippians is because the book of Ecclesiastes, you literally had this guy who had every material possession, at least in that time. I mean, obviously he didn't have an iPhone or anything like that, but he had everything he could ever dreamed for and he counted everything as meaningless And he came to the end of his life and he's like, you know what? Fear God. Obey his commandments. And this is a whole duty of man. That's in the conclusion of his life. That's what he came to. And then you have the Apostle Paul in Philippians who uh, was shipwrecked, beaten, persecuted for his faith, thrown in jail, had really nothing, was starving at times. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. He had the exact opposite of what uh, Solomon had. And he had all the joy in the world. And Solomon is at the end of his life. He's like, you know, everything's just meaningless. And so you had those two opposing, not maybe not opposing, but you had those two different views of one was I got nothing but I I count everything as lost for surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and I, I, I have Christ I've gained him for me to live as Christ and to die as gain like I'm going to die in this jail cell I'm going to get beheaded I'm going to gain and then you have Solomon who had all though 
material possessions and he said everything you know everything's everything's meaningless and he came to know fear god and keep his commandments and what a lot of people don't understand i mean we live in a day and age where uh we want we know we want to obey god's commandments but we often neglect the first and greatest commandment which is to love him above everything i mean i mean you think of life and you have a job most of us have nine to five jobs or 40 hour a week jobs or whatever and we strive so much to get to the top and you know we want this high calling in life to be the best of the best at what our career is at, at least in our american western culture but really the highest calling in life is not what we do as a vocation but what we're created to do as image bearers of God, which is to worship him above everything else. That's the highest calling in life. And and you can do that in your job. You can worship in your job and praise him and worship him and work for him because ultimately God is your boss. But that's really our highest calling. And whether you're a janitor or you're a CEO of a big company, you too can be have the highest calling that you ever had. And that's amazing to me, I think. It, you know, and it, I, I, I thoroughly love that. We can also know that what God didn't mean for us to delight in him, that he will give the desires of our heart. He didn't mean for it to be a health, wealth, prosperity thing. Because also Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, he says, Was it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What does it profit you if you gain, you know, that CEO title or all these great fancy toys? Was it profit you to gain millions and millions and billions of dollars? Was it profit you to gain all these material possessions and yet forfeit your soul because you you're you you didn't live up to the highest calling. You didn't love the Lord your God. You loved your stuff, you loved your things. And so we can conclude from Ecclesiastes, from the book of Mark and Philippians and you know from other places all throughout scripture that the Bible is clear that the Old Testament and the New Testament that wealth and possessions are not the things God wants us to desire but he wants us to desire him above everything. And so getting back to Psalm 37:4 which says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that really mean? I mean, when we're reading scripture, I mean, I know we have these daily Bible reading plans that it's like, all right, let's get through the Bible in a year. Uh, All right, I'm just going to check the box off today and boom, I'm done. And 
I'm going to be honest with you. I've actually never really read through the entire Bible. If I'm going to uh, take a honesty, uh, hands up in the air. I have I, I have memorized books of the Bible, interestingly enough, but I've never actually read everything. I've read most of it, but I haven't, you know, actually read all the books or all the verses. But eventually, I'll get there. But we have these reading plans every year that we make out of January first, and. We just kind of check the box off and we just kind of like, all right, I'm going to get through it. And that's fine. It's good to rake leaves. It's good to go out in the yard, rake leaves, and, you know, it's satisfying. But when are we going to go deep? When are we going to, you know, dig up some gold? When are we going to dig up some diamonds? I mean, that that's what the Bible is. I mean, you can I mean, what is so great about scripture is that a little child can read it and understand the gospel. And a deep theologian who has been a Christian for seventy years can still find gold in it. I mean, the Bible is the number one best selling book ever for a reason. And it because it's God inspired, like there's just so much to draw from it, and I I love it, and I'm still discovering things that I didn't know, and so when you read, I just th- this is off script by the way. I don't have this in my notes as I'm looking at the computer. When you read scripture, really just chew on verses. You know, I I can't remember if it was a cow, but I think cows, when they chew, they gurgitate them, they swallow it, and they gurgitate it back up, chew on it some more. I can't remember if that's correct. Don't fact check me on that. I just, I probably botched that. But just let's really chew on this. And so when Psalm 37 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart, we have to remember who is writing this. David mostly writes the Psalms. I mean, we there's probably other psalmists that have written it, but I mean, we can equate most of the Psalms to David. And we know that David as a writer and as a poet, he talks to his soul. He says in Psalm 43.5, when he speaks to himself, actually, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And as, he talks to himself. He talks to himself. So if you know, you're feeling depressed one day, you're not weird, and you, and you don't need a pill if you're talking to yourself. I mean, there are some people, I, I, got, I admit, there's some people that need a pill and need to go see somebody. But it, it's okay to say, why are you cast down, oh my soul? And I wonder if, and I mean, don't quote me on this or anything, but I wonder if David could be saying in this very, this very verse, he could be speaking to his soul. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or to put it in a transition way of what I would say, maybe, translate this verse, is he could be saying, Delight in the Lord, O my soul. 
He will give you the desire to delight in him. That's why I think it's saying. It's like, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you that desire to delight in him. And it's not just David saying this. Like I mentioned in that, you know, the Apostle Paul in Philippians, he says actually several times, joy is one of the main themes in Philipp- in the letters to the Philippians. But he says in Philippians 3.1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Or in Philippians 4.4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And keep in mind, he's writing this in prison. So, it's not like he is at a nice little coffee bar in his town and he's got a nice little coffee and he's got that Instagram picture. I mean... He's in dirt. He's in chains. He's more than likely starving. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. And not only Paul, but but throughout the whole Bible, we are commanded to have joy in Christ, joy in the Lord. Um, To the point where we are willing to lose our family because of our great love for our Lord. So why is God so adamant that we worship him like this, to delight in him like this, to treasure him like this, to rejoice in him so much that we're willing to lay down our lives. We're willing to be separated from family members. Why? Well, let's look at Matthew 10, 37. And... We'll gurgitate on this. We'll chew on this verse for a little bit. He says this, Whoever loves father, mother, more than me, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. Those are strong and powerful words that Christ spoke. I mean, you got to love father, mother, son, daughter more. Or if you do not love, if you love father, mother, son, daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. That's, that's pretty big. And we need to really chew on what really he's saying because what I don't want you to think is, well, okay, I got to stop loving my father, mother, son, and daughter. No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. So let's chew on it. Let's think about it. Jesus is the one who created the universe. The one who is fully man and fully God. The one who spoke the words that if you love father, mother, son, daughter more than me, then you're not worthy of me. That's what he's saying. And so when you read this text... You gotta always ask the why. You gotta always ask why. How, the what, the why, the when, you know, the grade school stuff. Why did he decide to use father, 
mother, son, and daughter. Why did he use those family members versus the alternative, which is, he could have said, I mean, he could have said, if you do not love father-in-law, mother-in-law, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, more than me, you're not worthy of me. He could have said it, didn't say it. Why? I think pretty certain you guys know why he didn't use in-laws i mean most of us right not me i mean i I love my in-laws but i mean a lot of us could have in-laws that we really don't like and so if he said if you do not love father-in-law mother-in-law son-in-law daughter-in-law more me you're not worthy of me and be like it's pretty easy not to love my mother-in-law or or father-in-law so why didn't he use them or why didn't he use co-workers or friends or neighbors why well i mean we have that's a legitimate question the only logical thing is it's natural to love your father your mother your son and your daughter I mean, for the most part, it's, I mean, obviously we're not going to do it perfectly, but it's natural for us to gravitate towards affection with them. Meaning you and I, we do things for our parents and our kids more than we would any random person that we see down the street or at work. Just to be honest, like we give more of our time and we make sacrifices for the people that we naturally gravitate towards, which is our father, mother, son, and daughter. And Jesus is saying that if you're not willing to love me, the king of the universe, me, the one who knitted you in your mother's womb, if you're not willing to make time and sacrifices and love me more than those who you naturally show the most affection to on this earth and you'd be willing to do it more for them than me and you're not worthy of me basically saying you don't really love me you treat me as though I am some homeless guy on the street who's interrupting your day and sadly, a lot of us do that. Even, some, even Christians from time to time. I, I, you know, I myself, there's moments in my life where I've treated Jesus as a homeless guy on the street just interrupting my day. I far too often fall short of that. Just being honest with you. Now, I want to make this clear again. To follow Christ is to honor your father and your mother and not make your kids angry we want to love them but jesus he knew in that culture and in all the cultures and after uh, he died and rose again he knew that people would choose would have to choose between christ or their family members He knew that from his culture up until now and going to be until he comes back. 
And so, for example, Jesus knew that people would follow him and give their lives for him, but the parents wouldn't agree and give them an ultimatum to either follow Christ or be excommunicated from family. We are commanded to love Christ that much, to be excommunicated from the people who we naturally show the most affection to on this earth. We love him that much. And so those are very powerful, convicting words that I myself have to put into practice. Thankfully, I have never experienced that. My parents are very proud of me for following Christ and being a man of God. I'm very thankful for that. But I do know that there are people around the world, could be people even in your neighborhood, at your work, that aren't as lucky in that they get mocked because of their faith. And so we need, and even persecuted and beaten. And so we just need to keep our brothers and sisters in Christ who unfortunately go through that. And so be be praying for them. And so lastly, the question that you may ask yourself is why? I mean, why does God want command us to delight him in like this? Why can't he just let us worship some things else? Why can't he just let us be, be? I mean, why? Why does he command us to love him above everything that he's ever created in this world? And there have been many a people to come across this question and why God wants our affections towards him and why he can't just be satisfied if we worship other things in him and that's a legit question and i'm not making fun of people for who asked that question i mean that's really legit i mean there have been people celebrities who have asked that question and they you know they didn't get a good enough response And so it's a hard question, and it's a hard one to answer in one episode, but I'll give you a short analogy of why God wants us to love him and why it is actually life-giving for us. And so let me give you this illustration. So if I were to spot you, say you're on the side of the road once again, or and you've been out in the desert for almost about three days i mean we're talking about death valley desert in i think arizona or utah somewhere around there i mean it's hot it's like 110 degree weather the sun's just beating down on you yeah i saw you on the side of the road and you're waving your hands and you're trying to get me to pull over because you're dying of thirst probably and I pull over and you come up to the car and you're like hey I need water I'm dying of thirst I need help I've been out here for three days what do you think the most loving thing for me to do would be I mean besides the fact of driving your sorry butt to the next town so that you can have a place to sleep or to get you back on your feet, right? 
What would be the most loving thing for me to do in that moment? Well, human experience lets us know that our bodies cannot survive without water more than three days. So the most loving thing would me would be for me to give you water. <laughs> what a concept. But now I want you to imagine something. Just for a second. What would you think if you saw three random items in my car? Now, one of these items would be a wallet full of $100 bills. It's pretty nice. Wish I had a wallet full of $100 bills, but hey, it's my fantasy, okay? The other item is a beautiful 75, 80-inch HD 4K TV. Wish I had that. And last, but certainly not least, a bottle of iced cold water bottle filled with glacier water. I mean, it's just ice cold. It's got the condensation out of the bottle. And I was to ask you, which one would you like to have? I would bet all my fake $100 bills that you would say in this scenario, you wouldn't even think twice about the TV or the $100 bills. You would go for the ice cold glacier water. You would. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. I would do it. I would go for the glacier water. Why? Because our bodies need water to survive and thrive even. We need water. We're, I, I believe we're 90% water is what our bodies is. So now imagine this scenario. Okay, the last scenario, you got to choose which one of those three you could you or take. Now imagine this scenario. Now imagine how unloving I would have to be if I, instead of giving you the water, I would either give you the wallet full of money to help you survive and maybe buy McDonald's out in Death Valley, I don't know, or give you a TV that there's no plug-ins out in the desert to watch TV and your favorite TV episodes like Survivor or whatever, you probably would consider me to be the worst human being ever. I mean, ever. Because both those things, if I just hand you $100 bills, if I just handed you a TV and just drove off, you would die, you would perish. Because those things you cannot live off of. You cannot survive off of, so to speak. I mean, you could theoretically say, well, I could spend the $100 and get 100 cases of water. Okay, fine, you could, but you're out in a desert with nothing around you, so it doesn't matter. God would be very unloving if he did not command that we love him above all because he 
is the living water that we need in order to be spiritually alive and thrive because he knows how we operate. He created us in his image. And we know this for a certain degree, don't we? That what humans create in this world, there's law to. We'll go back to the car analogy where you've never seen a person put sugar water in a gas tank. Why? Because Henry Ford, who created Ford Motors, made the engines to run on gasoline and not sugar water. And so what God creates, there is law to. And the first and greatest commandment slash law is to love and to worship the true and living God of Scripture. And if we don't, we perish both physically in this life and spiritually in the one to come. To reiterate this home, just so I'm not pulling a verse out, um, is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is found in John chapter 4. There we read of a Samaritan woman drawing water out of a well and Jesus goes out of his way to have a conversation with this woman who is such an outcast in her society because of her marital affairs that she is that she has she is drawing water at the hottest part of the day so that she, so that she wouldn't have to interact with the other women who were probably gossiping around her saying that saying bad things behind her back she didn't want to interact with those people i don't really blame her i wouldn't want to either and jesus knew that she was trying to gain pleasure through her sin with her affairs she was having but no matter how many men she was going to be with it wouldn't make her content and she just knew it wouldn't make her content and he goes on to say this he says in verse 13 of chapter 4 everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again meaning if you're gonna you know he, he later says you don't have no husband you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband what you have said is quite true and she is trying to get pleasure out of her sin and it's just not working she keeps going from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship and it's just not working he's saying you do this you're going to be thirsty again you're just going to go from one guy to the next but whoever drinks of the water i give them will never thirst indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So whether it's the pleasure of sin, money, and or family, I mean, sin could be any good thing that we corrupt. I mean, we can make marriage our idol. We can make food our idol. We can make money our idol. All those are good things, but they can become idols. It says in First John, at the end of First John, he says, "Little children, do not worship idols." 
So let's not make idols out of good things. I mean, so going back to one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament to really drive this home. And I, I'll, you'll probably hear me quote this um, somewhat a bit um, in the podcast from time to time, but it's, I, I love this verse. And it comes from Jeremiah 2.13, the prophet Jeremiah trying to plead with the Israelites to turn back to God and not worship all these idols that they're worshiping to. I believe Jesus had this scripture in mind when he was talking to this woman at the well. And it says in Jeremiah 2.13, it says, For my people have committed two evils. Now, we want to pay attention because there are people who are like, well, you know what's evil in this world? Hitler, that's what's evil. Killed Six million Jews slaughtered. That's what's evil. You know what's evil in this world? Rapists. That's what's evil. You know what's evil in this world? The list could go on and on and on and on. But this is what the Bible considers as evil. So, best to keep your ears open. God, give us our ears to know this. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. Meaning they, God's people, have forsaken God. That's first evil. They have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. Basically, the two evils are they forsaken God and they made idols. The idols that can't do anything for you. Whew. We were created by God not to worship the created. We are created to worship the creator, the one who gives us life and breath, the one who is the fountain of living water, the one who's the cistern that can hold water. And you may be wondering at this point, because it, I mean, I just said for my people who committed two evils and the first one was to forsake God, the fountain of living water. May ask yourself, well, I don't want to do that. How do I do that? Well, first off, we're unfortunately we're all sinners and we've all broken that commandment. We've all forsaken God. We've all put things above Him that we shouldn't. <laughs> and you may think, well, what now? Like, where do we go from here? That is a great question, and that's what this podcast is a lot for, is to show us how we can delight in Him. What what does it mean to walk in fellowship with God, to delight in God, to treasure God, to love Him above everything? 
So how do we do it? There's multiple reasons how, and eventually I'm going to get to the first one, but I want to keep you sus- your suspense in a little bit. And so we're going to get to that eventually in this podcast because I can't explain it in one episode, unfortunately, but, but I've walked with Christ for many years now and I've been through the ups and the downs of it all, figuring out, and it's a lifelong process. And the only way we can know is by reading God's word. You know, don't don't just listen to me. I mean, I'm a nobody. I'm an image bearer of God. I'm a lover of God. I am a child of God. But man, there's nothing like going to the Word of God and reading it. Read that thing. Memorize that. I mean, it is amazing. It's beautiful. Go through it yourself. I'd rather you read that and be and be so caught up in it and to memorize it than listen to me. Just throwing that out there. Um, so please be in your Bible. Read it daily. I mean, uh, one of my favorite preachers says this, no Bible, no food. No Bible, no breakfast. So read the written word. Uh, Don't have to take it that seriously, but, you know, read it every day. It is life-giving. It's God's word to us. It's how he speaks to us. He speaks to us through creation. He speaks to us through his written word. And so, but we're going to be going in this podcast first by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book, and really get a sense of context in the Bible because context and scripture matters. And so we're going to be doing that. But basically, this whole episode sums up to this. God wants our love for us because he created us to worship him. That's how he designed us to fully thrive and to fully worship him. And if he didn't command that of us, he would he would be a very unloving God. God is very loving to want our love and worship to him because that is the water that we need to strive and to thrive off to love him. And so that's the thesis of this whole episode. And so now before I go, before I leave you, I want to give you this prayer that Paul wrote in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. I'll read it. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Eventually, I'm going to impact what that means and what it doesn't mean because there could be, uh, you could misinterpret that if you didn't know the context of all Philippians. And the reason why I give this is this: these verses are very precious to my soul. And when it says, 
my prayer is that your love may abound more and more because you know we don't we don't love God as we should I don't love God as we should your famous pastor who you really love doesn't love God as he should let's just be honest here we don't I mean we don't trust me we don't and Paul saying that your love may abound more and more more and more if I were to go if my wife said honey we need more milk what is that implying it's implying we have less uh, we have we don't have really enough milk in the fridge we don't have enough milk to give our son a bunch of cocoa that he wants we need more milk so what I gotta do I gotta get more milk our love isn't as, as it should be, but our love shouldn't stay where it's at. We should, as Christians, be growing in our love, in our desires, in our delight for Christ. And so that's what Paul really wants. And we only go through love. We only go through delighting Christ, treasuring Christ, worshiping Christ with knowledge and all discernment yes knowledge is very good it's not a bad thing I think I think we tend to focus I mean there's two camps it's like oh let's just love God we don't need all this Bible nonsense blah 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 and then there's this other side it's like well we don't need all that worship praise let's just be really deep theological theologians and know all this knowledge and both camps are out of their minds it's both and we need to love God and have a passion for him and to praise him and to worship him but we also need to know knowledge and we need to have discernment to know to worship the true God because there are really bad ideologies of God out there and very false um, views of of God and we need to discern and have knowledge and the only way we can have that knowledge and that discernment is in fact God's inspired word the Bible which is why we're studying it and so we need to be worshipers of God who love to have biblical knowledge and right theology and doctrine to worship him both need to be there Let's not separate one from the other. And so that's the goal of my podcast is that your love may abound more and more with this. And so that by the end of each episode, maybe just maybe you grow closer to Christ. You love Christ more. And then the next one, you love more, more. And I hope that you read scripture for yourself and not just listen to me. So anyways, with that, Let's pray. Father, the unfortunate thing is we as your image bearers do not love you as we should. What an unfortunate thing it is, Lord. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves as Christians, we fall short every day of loving you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It puts me at awe and wonder why you came to the cross and suffered the wrath of God in our place and you paid the death and penalty that we deserved. 
that we it says in Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord we deserve death we deserve your wrath but thank you for the free gift of salvation to us so that we can enjoy you in our everyday life as we do ordinary mundane things so that whether we're a janitor mopping up a floor we're a CEO of this big company that our highest calling is to worship you and praise you and thank you for all the good things that you've done and even all the bad things Lord that come in our lives you know just like Job says in the book of Job are we the people who only accepts the good that God gives us and not the bad God everything I mean let us be Christians who rejoice in our suffering because we know suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit Lord let us know that your love has been poured into our hearts for those who have received you as their treasure, for those of us who delight in you above everything else, even when we stumble, even when we fall in our day-to-day lives, that we can look to you, the advocate of the one who took our sins away, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that you would save us from our sins, that if we confess that we are sinners and we turn our lives over to you, that you would make us right with you. God, is beautiful and it's wonderful that you've given us your son so we could worship you. Oh, thank you, Lord, for loving us so that way we can love you. In your name we pray. Amen. To my wife and kids, family and friends, even my enemies, and even my internal struggles that I have with the Bible, you are God's gift to me in helping me draw closer to Christ. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. Next time on Delighting in Christ. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness and he used scripture to try and make Jesus bow down to worship him. Find out why it's so important for us as Christians to know the context and meaning of scripture.